So we are continuing this series of when Jesus went to church as we were looking at the, the different churches that Jesus spoke to in the beginning part of the book of Revelation. And, and as we've gone through this study, we've been looking at these different churches and, and know that, that there, is, there are things that we need to learn right from what Jesus observes in these churches for our own heart and our own faith journey, the things that we need to learn as a church family of, uh, of how can we do better, how can we be closer to Christ, and, and what do we learn you know, from what he told them. And, and yet it, our theme verse for this series is as this has been a call to prayer for all of us and, and of seeking the Lord on, on what do you need us to do right, to, to better fulfill the mission. Uh, and, and yet we also see the chaos in the world around us. And yet this theme verse that we find in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, uh, this promise that was given to Israel in the midst of an incredibly chaotic time for them and their history, and yet God says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And that is our intention as a church as we go through this series, is that one, we will rest in the hope and the future that Jesus brings. Right? But, and that we will, we will earnestly pray and seek him. And that, again, we will find God amidst everything we face. Right? And that we will continue to move forward as a church in the mission that God has called us to in this community and in our families, and in our careers, and, and, and in our homes, and in our own hearts. That, that we will continue to join the journey of faith, and, and be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. And, and as we've looked at all these different churches, again, we are in week four, and, and this, uh, we've looked at these different churches. The first week was about the church in Ephesus, and we learned how we need to keep God on the throne, and we can't get distracted from what really matters. And that is Christ being first in everything. That's what really matters. And in the midst of that, we cannot let our love grow cold. Then the next church we looked at was the church in Smyrna. And, and we learned there how we are rich no matter what we face if we have Jesus with us. And we are instructed to not be afraid and to pass whatever test comes at us to stay faithful. And then last week, we looked at the next two churches, at the church of Pergamum and Theatria. They, we saw from them that, that there was this shift, and in, in the first two churches were about the evil in the community and around them. Then these two churches, uh, it shifted to the evil that was present in their church leadership and within their churches themselves. That Jesus called out deceptive and false teaching and a stern call towards repentance. And now today we are moving on to the next church, the church in Sardis. And this church, again, is, is described in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Revelation chapter 3. If you're with us online, I hope uh, that you have your Bible with you close at hand. Um, if not, hopefully uh, you can just listen as I read it. You can hear in person, you can use those Bibles that are provided for you in, in the seats uh, as well. So we're going to read here uh, in Revelation chapter 3 about the church in Sardis. Or it says, right, this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis, this is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. 
I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and his angels that, that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, as we read these verses and this description of the church in Sardis, uh, you, you might have noticed that Jesus changes it up a little bit with this church. Okay, one, he gives them in a different order. Okay, with all of the other churches, the first four, he started with what was good, right? And then he came out with what he had against them. And, and yet, this time, Jesus changes it up. He starts with what was bad. And, and now, not only does he change up the order, but, but we also see a shift, a progression in what Jesus calls out. As we, we already said, in the first two churches, he calls out the evil that was in, in the world around those first two churches. Then we saw last week with the next two churches, it turned from the evil in the world to the evil within the ranks of the church, right, and within their community. And now here again, we turn another corner, right, into these last three churches. These last three churches is it's not even about the, the church community, but he, Jesus specifically calls out very personal issues, Right, and we see this, this progression, right, that Jesus um, not only changes up the order in the way that he addresses this church, but he also raises the bar in their own personal faith and relationship with God. Not just this church, but the next two. So I'll just tell you, this is fair warning, <laughs> right, that Jesus pulls no punches. And these next three churches are very personal issues and problems. And, and so here, Jesus starts out with the bad, and so we are going to follow the order that Jesus gives. The bad of the church in Sardis was their reputation. It was their reputation. Now, as he calls out the reputation, the, the, the bad part wasn't their actual reputation. In fact, Jesus says that, right? He says their reputation was they were good. Okay, but the problem with their reputation was that their reputation was not accurate. Right? They had a good reputation. Everybody from the outside looking in says, that church is awesome. Right? The problem Jesus had was that that reputation was wrong. Right? It was inaccurate. Because they weren't good. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus tells them. He says, your reputation is that you are good, but you're not. And there's the problem. Now, as we 
see this, like I said, we're diving right into this really quickly. That's exactly what Jesus did, right? He dives right in. I mean, the very first sentence to them, he says, your reputation is good, but you're actually bad. Right? And what he's telling them is that the, the, that's the core of the problem here. The problem with your church is that everybody in your church is wearing a mask. Now, I know that that kind of comes with a lot of connotations in our culture right now, doesn't it? Right? Jesus was not talking about a mask that we, is in our headlines all, all the time, right? He's not. That's not the mask he was addressing, right? He was addressing the church mask, right? The, the one that hides your real identity, even as, you know, Halloween's coming up, right? And we think about, this is more like the Halloween mask, right? The one that presents something to everybody else that's not actually true. Right? It's the mask that we put on when we show up to church. And Jesus says the problem with that mask is it's not who you really are. And we all know this, right? I mean, we've all either done it ourselves or, or seen it in other people that, that we're a different person when we're sitting in the rows in this building than we are outside church property, right, that we, we clean up our language when we pull in the parking lot, right, we, we dress up in clothes on Sunday that we never wear any other time, right, we, we paste a smile on our face, right, when we walk through the front doors of the church, and, and yet the reality is we are broken and hurting. When someone asks, how's it going, we just smile and say, great, God's good. And we never want to tell people what's really happening. Right? We, we put on this mask and we present what we think everybody wants to see while we're at church. And when we drive out of the parking lot on Sunday morning, we take the mask off. And the mask sits in the backseat of our car with our Bible the whole week. Right? And we pick up our Bible when we pull in next Sunday and we put the mask on and we walk into the building. And, and Jesus calls them out and says, guys, let's stop playing a game. Because your reputation is that you're good, but, but the reality is you're not. Right? And when we think about this idea and we, we see this, the reality is you can fool people at church. Right? The reality is you can even fool me as your pastor. But what Jesus is telling them and he's also telling us is you can never fool God. Because God knows what's really going on. God knows the real state of your heart. God knows what's actually hurting. You can fool people at church, you can even fool me, but you can never fool God. And, and, and the, the reality, right, is that, that God doesn't believe it for a second. In fact, Jesus taught all throughout his time on earth and his teaching as we read through the Gospels, Jesus teaches about fruit a few times. 
Right? And, and that's, that's exactly the message that Jesus was trying to get us to understand. And, and again, he's coming to the church in Sardis, and he's saying, guys, the problem is not your reputation. The problem is it's not real. And yet, when we see that, is, is that our lives will prove what is real by the fruit that is produced. Because every life produces fruit. And the fruit reveals the truth. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, 33, he says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. And if a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Okay, and in this analogy, right, that our lives is, is the tree and, and what the true, the truth about our own identity comes out in the fruit. Right, if, if our lives and our hearts and our faith is good, then we will produce good fruit. God honoring fruit. Right? character traits of, of who God is. We will be transformed to be more like him. And that becomes the fruit of our lives. And yet, if the tree is bad, if, a, if, if our hearts are not truly surrendered to God, then, then it will come out in the fruit of our lives. And it will be bad fruit. As we think about this idea, this concept, this is one that not just Jesus taught about, but we also learn and see in, in other New Testament letters. In fact, Paul addresses this exact same issue in Galatians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible with you, you flip, keep your finger in Revelation. We're going to head back there, but flip over to Galatians chapter 5. As we're going to read verses 19 through 26. And this is again, just a bigger passage that fits on your outline, so we're going to have to read it straight from the text. Um, but yet, we have to look at the Passage as a whole. Right, Galatians 5, starting at verse 19. It says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild party, and other sins like these. Okay, we have to take a deep breath after that list. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. There's an exclamation point after that. Different kind of deep breath after that list. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And as we Look at this passage and why I wanted to read the entire thing is, is we, we, again, know and realize that every life produces fruit. Right? The real question is whether it's good fruit or bad fruit. And that's exactly what Paul does for us in this passage is he lays out the bad fruit in verses 19 through 21 and he 
also lays out the good fruit, right, in verses 22 through 23. And he says, let's just compare them. Right? And, and, and it seems obvious, right, in that, when it, he just lays them out in that way, that, that the fruit becomes obvious, right, of, of what's good and what's bad. Interesting about the two lists is the first list is a mix of, of character traits and actions. Right? And yet the good fruit list is all heart conditions and character traits. And then we see these last three verses, verses 24 through 26 that we read. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we see some action steps that Paul gives right, to, to make sure that your life is producing good fruit. The first thing in verse 24 is he tells us we need to crucify all of your bad fruit on the cross of Christ. Just give it to God, let it be forgiven. That's what we celebrated today when we took communion, right? Is the fact that we can do that. That all of the bad fruit in my life has been crucified on that cross and paid for by the blood of the Lamb. That's a good place for an amen, by the way. Right? All the bad fruit of my life has been crucified on the cross, right? And has been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Thank you. Which means when you receive Christ as your Savior, you invite him into your life, you confess your sin, you bring, you know, accept his, his grace and his mercy and forgiveness of your sin, and you surrender your heart to God and invite him into your life, then you are saved, right? And that bad fruit gets crucified on the cross because the price has been paid. Right? That's the first step. Crucify the bad fruit on the cross. The second step in verse 25, he says, then be led by the Spirit in every part of your life. Don't leave any part out. And it's not just about following Jesus when you come to church on Sunday. Every part of your life. Right, and that's moving forward in your journey. Right, and making that choice to surrender to Jesus every day when you wake up. Right, and that's being in the journey of faith. Not just joining it. And then we see in verse 26, right, where he tells us then the next step is to be aware of your emotions. Right, don't let jealousy creep in. Don't let envy. Right, don't, let, don't let any of these other things, right? Don't let your own ego build up, right, about, about who's really making things good in your life. I mean, there's all these things, right? Be careful and aware of your emotions as you continue to move forward. Again, Jesus, as we kind of flip back, right, to, to Revelation, and we see that, that this church in Sardis, their reputation was they were alive, but Jesus says they were dead. Right? And yet, if we truly want to be alive in our, in our faith, right, is not only will we do these things that Paul addresses here in these fruits of the Spirit, right, that, that we will crucify the bad fruit on the cross and leave them on the cross, that we will be led by the Holy Spirit in every part of our life, that we will, we will be aware and careful of our emotions, but then it will also move us to action. Right? Because if God's truly working and we're not, you know, we're being honest about the mask that we put on at different times in our life, that, 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 that the Holy Spirit will be transforming our heart and our life, and it will therefore start to affect our outward actions. And yet James, and as he addresses 
things that are alive or dead, right, is that he calls out, again, our actions in James 2, 26, where he says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And as we think about it, not only are we consuming the things of God, right, and, and his Holy Spirit transforming our lives, but we also contributing to his kingdom and contributing to his mission. And yet we start this ongoing cycle in our lives of not just consuming the things of God, but also contributing to his kingdom, not our own. Right? And the more we contribute to God, the more that he transforms us and opens our eyes to what is really important and really true in our lives and in our faith and in our world. And so, again, he calls them out, straight out, right? First sentence, calls them out, right, that their reputation is the bad part because it's not accurate. And yet we see in the second part, right, of Jesus' address to the church of Sardis that there is some good among them, right? And the good among them is that there are a few that are still alive. There are a few that are alive. And as he, as he talks about the, the, these few, again, in the church, notice he says that they will be clothed in white. Again, who clothes them? Jesus does. Right? And, and white is a very significant representative color in Scripture, right? right? White is purity, right? pure of heart, right? that it's, it's real, right? It has been washed clean by the blood of the lamb, that, that, that they will be clothed in white and walk with Jesus. Because we see here that, that, that Jesus says, there are some among you that have not soiled their clothes with evil. There is some good fruit. Right? And that's great news. The sky is not completely falling. Right, but yet we also know for those, again, that have soiled their clothes that, that it's not too late. I mean, they can still receive Jesus as their Savior. They can still confess their sins and repent. They can still move in a new direction, right? It's, it's not all doom and gloom for Sardis. There is still hope. And yet we also notice, though, is this very significant part, though, right, that in verse 5, right, where Jesus says, all who are victorious will be clothed in white. And he says, I will never erase their names from the book of life. Now, again, we've, we've talked about the books before. Right? We've looked at that, that. The book of life is the book that's all about grace and about your salvation. And that's, that's who gets into heaven and who doesn't. That's a book you want your name in, by the way. Hey, and notice here, this is one of these places that, that Jesus says, hey, you're, you're close, but I, if you... If you Come back to me, right? If you repent, if you do that, I will not blot out your name. But you know what that says to me is that your name can be blotted out. And this is, again, one of those places where um, I believe Scripture tells us, right, that you, you can have your name erased from the book of life. And when it comes to our holiness theology, and, and again, we believe that you can lose your salvation. Again, this has been a, a, a theological debate between churches and denominations for decades, for millennium. And, and yet, there, there's a potentially slippery slope on either extreme of, of this 
theological debate. Right? Of if you can't lose your, your salvation, then the, the, the extreme temptation right, is to say, well, I've prayed the prayer once. I've got my ticket to heaven. I can never lose it. So now I can do whatever I want for the rest of my earthly days. Right now, the other extreme, on the other side of saying you can lose your salvation, is that of this fear that could come without of that, like, man, if I ever slip up, God's just waiting to crush me under his thumb. Right? And that I have to be worried every moment, right, that I might sin and lose my salvation. And, and I truly believe that either of those extremes goes against the heart and character of God. Now, as we, as we look and realize that, right, again, Jesus is literally pleading with them. Make sure that your name does not get erased. First, make sure your name is in the book and make sure it, it doesn't get erased. In fact, if you read all of these, as we've read all of these, and even as we move forward to these last two churches the next few weeks, you notice that, that, that these, these texts are very blunt, as we already know. Right? And yet, they're also dripping with love and grace as Jesus is pleading with these churches to get it right. right? And, and he loves you as much as he does out of the people in these churches. Right? And, and Jesus is pleading with us, you have to get this right. And, and as we see this, right, he, he tells them, Right, that, that for those you know that it, that for those that are left, right, that they have not lost their salvation. He's saying you have not sold, you have not keep going. Right, don't get sucked into what's happening around you, but keep your focus right. Right, and keep moving forward. And he tells them in the beginning part of verse three, he says to go back to what you heard and believed at first and hold to it firmly. Right, Jesus tells them, he says, no matter what's going on around you in your culture and in your world, uh, even what else is going on around you in your church, don't let that derail your faith. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Right, it goes back to the foundation of the gospel. Right, and the gospel message is always relevant. Right? Even to those that have been walking with Jesus for decades, the gospel is always important. We have to go back to what we heard and believed at first, and we hold to it firmly. Because it is easy to get caught up in the weeds of theology. Okay, to talk about these different issues maybe that we come up with or questions we have and debates, even debates about whether I can lose my salvation or not, right, or end times views, right, or the list is long, right, of, of all these different theologies that are out there. And in fact, as we, as we know in the end times, the scripture tells us that there'll be all kinds of things that come out and false teachers and, and theories that, again, that people that sound great, right, and, and that people will get led astray by. And again, I think we can all look and, and we feel the tension in our world right now about like, man, are we in the end times? And I mean, the, the, all we know, right, is that we're closer now than we've ever been to the end times, but we also, we have no idea when Jesus is coming. But we know he's coming again. 
And even that, again, is something we can get caught up in and, and try to figure out ourselves, and yet we can, we can let that, if we let it, to distract us from the gospel of what we know for sure. Right? And what we know for sure is you need Jesus. And that you need to produce good fruit in your life. Right? Those things are very, very clear. Again, we, we think about these different things that, that we can spend our, our lives on, right, and, and our focus and our emotions on as we kind of get caught up in splitting theological hairs and on trying to figure out God, right, more than we know him, but, but yet it always comes back to the gospel. Go back to what you heard and believed at first and hold firmly to that. Make sure you get that right. And when we see that and we know, and, and which means that we always need to be reminded about where we come from. That's why we do communion. Right? That's why Jesus told us to do it. Right? It was to remind us of where we came from. Right? As we've talked about these journey classes, one of the things that we do in journey class four is we work on different spiritual disciplines. And um, what, what are the, one of the things we do in that is you, um, we give you a devotional book for you to, to do as a part of your homework out of that class. Okay? And that that devotional book, the one we give you in that class, is called God Time. Okay? And it was literally written for somebody who has just received Christ as their Savior for the first time. Okay? It's literally designed for you to read once a day for your first month as a Christian. Okay? And it, it, it takes you through the very basics of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, and to say that is one of the reasons we do that. Obviously, for those that are in class four, they've already gone through the other classes. They're at this place of, a, at we, I believe, right, at a place of spiritual maturity probably in their life, right? They've already grown in their journey. And yet, one of the reasons we do that is to, to not forget where we came from, to go back to what you believed at first and to hold firmly to it. And I will tell you, as many times as I've taught that class, I've gone through that book every time. And I've been, literally been a Christian since I was six. And I've learned something from that book every time I go through it. And yet we've also had people go through the class. They say, well, you know, again, they get in the first couple days and they're like, I don't need to do this. I've been a believer for a long time. And I would argue, no, you do need to do it. Right? We all need to do it. Because we need to go back to what you heard and believed at first, and we hold firmly to it. So what do we do next? Okay, Jesus tells them what they need to do next. What he tells them they need to do is they need to wake up. And they need to repent. Revelation 3, 3, the second part of that verse. Okay, Jesus tells them, he says, repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. He tells them it is time to wake up. Because we all know and probably have experienced that things can happen when you're asleep that you don't realize have happened. Right? And so Jesus is telling him it's time to wake up. It's time to admit what is really going on in your life. It is time to take off the mask. He's saying, let God open your eyes. Not just what's going on around you, around you, or in your church, but what is happening in your own heart. It's time to wake up. It's time to admit what's really going on. 
And again, I, I don't know where your life or your faith is. Maybe you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Savior before. Or maybe you're here and you have received Jesus as your Savior, but maybe your faith has stalled. Or maybe you're here just moving forward every day and, and your eyes are already opened. And, and again, I don't know where you're at, but, but the reality is that, that Jesus is calling us to action in our own faith. Right, there's these extra things in our lives that can distract us from our, from our own faith and our, and our moving forward. And, and it might be something beyond, you know, the walls of the church. Right, in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Are you saying if you come to worship, right, and, and there's something else outside of be, that's, that's hindering your faith, right, whether it's a relationship with somebody that needs to be, you know, taken care of, whether it's unforgiveness in your own heart, whether it's, you know, a, a, a question that, that, that God hasn't answered about what, whatever it is that's standing in the way. Jesus says, no, just leave your sacrifice. Take care of it. Take the mask off. Admit what's real. Like, resolve it in your life and then come back and worship. It's that important. Again, all of our individual journeys are different. But, and, and when we look at the vision statement of our church, of join the journey, this is a twofold challenge. It's first and foremost about our own individual faith journey. Have you joined the journey of faith yourself? Are you joining the journey every day? Right? And, and it's also about our corporate journey as a church. Do we pursue Christ and reach out? and accomplish the mission that God has given us as a church. And the advice that Jesus gives to this church is the same advice we've seen over and over again for every church, and that is to repent. Right, to wake up and repent. Jesus has given, like I said, this to most all the churches so far, but the difference between the churches is what they need to repent from. Right, and for this church, it's different than what the other churches were. Jesus is telling them to wake up, to admit what's really going on in your own heart and what's really holding you back. Because Jesus, again, is pleading for, with them to hold on to the gospel, right? To, to, to confess what needs to be confessed, to repent and move forward so that they can be set free. Again, Jesus says to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What do you need to be set free from in your life today? What truth have you been ignoring in your life or in your faith? What mask have you been hiding behind that Jesus is pleading with you to take off and to admit the truth and be set free? Get whatever that is, take care of it today. As always, the discussion questions that our groups will go through this week is, what do you think Oregon Trail needs to learn from the church in Sardis? Or will you commit to diligent prayer during the series about how Oregon Trail can continue our mission? And what is your role in this effort? And I will tell you is that no matter what your role is in the mission of our church as a whole, it starts with your own heart and your own faith. Because if you are neglecting that, then our mission is in vain as a church.
What's the fruit of your life? Is the tree good? If your tree's not good, it can be made good by the blood of the lamb right now. So I don't know where your faith journey is, but I hope you will move forward. You will seek the Lord in prayer. Right? Commit to the next step. And maybe that next step is just admitting the truth and taking off the mask. Here's your final thought this morning, and that is this. 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers, and most of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Like I said, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today, whether you've received Jesus as your Savior before or haven't. If you haven't, I hope you will pray and receive him today. If you have, right, will you just admit the truth? And maybe the truth is all that God is changing my life every day and everything is great. Right? And if that's the truth, then praise him for it today. But if it's not, then I hope that you will admit the truth and be washed by his blood and, and be saved and move forward in your faith. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful forever. And God, we thank you that you are a God that will tell us the truth. And God, I pray that no matter where we're at in our faith today, God, that we can wake up and repent and move forward with you. And God, I pray, Lord, for all of us, God, that we won't put on a mask, but God, we will be true to who you make us. I thank you for making us new. God, for saving us, for transforming us. God, for helping us to be more like you every day. And as we go this week, Lord, I pray that our faith would not stop at the end of the parking lot. God, but go into every area of our lives as we live out our faith and as we show the world who you really are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving the world. Thank you for guiding us this week as we go. Help us to represent you well. Jesus, let me pray.